Welcome into the show for today, guys. Thank you so much for being here with us on this Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. My name is Joe Orico. You guys can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99. And we're starting off the week with a bit of a bang here. We usually don't bring in a guest until midweek, but we have a very special guest here. Joining us is the great Casey Bubba. Thank you so much for being here with us, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Looking forward to this. I, uh, I heard big things from a co-host of mine on another show that he enjoyed his time here. So that was even before you, you uh, asked me to be on. So I'm looking forward to uh, chatting it up for you for a bit. Yeah, I assume you're, you're talking about Ryan there, right? Ryan yep. Bloomfield? Yep, Ryan yeah. Bloomfield. Yeah, he was telling me he was on this show. And so I went and looked into it. I'm like, sounds good to me. And then you you slid into the DMs and it was, it was, it was looking forward to it, the best way I can put it. Yeah, that's great. Ryan was actually our first guest, so really uh, had a great time with him. And if you guys know uh, Bubba from his Twitter at BDentric, and I'm sure you guys also know the Bench with Bubba podcast. Uh, I particularly enjoyed the Bubba and the Bloom segments because, I don't know, there's something about you and Ryan. I think you guys have great chemistry there. So I really enjoy those particular ones. But all your stuff is really great. I, I really like your theme music that you use for your show. It's like got a Metallica kind of vibe it, to it. it. It's not it, actually Metallica. It is Metallica. It, it is Metallica. It is Metallica. Yes. It's, a, it's funny because like, it's a behind the curtain here. Uh, I'm a diehard Metallica fan. Like I haven't, I've seen them many times, stadiums, arenas, and... Um, it's funny though because when I started this podcast, like, and by no means am I saying I, I'm big, but I didn't think I'd do this many episodes. Let's put it that way. And uh, you're not supposed to use like people's music, so I was like, ah, screw it, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> and it's it's like I don't, I can't change it now because it's and it's my favorite Metallica song that exists. So, so that was the whole point behind it. So, yes, it is actual Metallica, and maybe someday I'll have to change it, but I really don't want to. Yeah, if uh, Lars Ulrich ever hears it, you might have to uh, pay yeah. some royalties back, but. <laughs> Exactly. I figured as many concert tickets as I bought, they should give me some leeway. That's the best way I can say it. <laughs> eh, you might get lucky. You might get lucky. You're uh, you're big enough name that they might let you off, but uh, who knows with those guys? Who knows with those guys? Exactly. Great music, though. I, re- I really like the music. Uh, Thank you. Anyway, let's talk about. Uh, we're here to talk about fantasy baseball. Let's, so let's talk a little bit about some uh, some buy low and sell high candidates to this point in the season. Some of these guys are. It's a bit of a mixed bag. Some of them are top performing first round picks, or I should say not performing like the first round picks that they were. And some of them are guys who weren't really being drafted much, but now they're showing, I mean, why they've been hot pickups these last few weeks. Uh, Let's start with a guy who was going as consensus top four or five pick in drafts and hasn't really lived up to that hype to this point. Uh, Boba Shett. He's currently, I think, sitting in like the 170 kind of range for value on the season. Do you see him getting back to that? When we look back at the end of the season, do you think he'll be someone in that first round kind of value range, top 10, top 12? I think it'll be pretty close. Like uh, with those guys that go super early, it's even been proven by some people smarter than me that it's almost impossible to reach that value of that pick uh, consistently. So you're just kind of hoping for, you're getting the floor with the upside there. And Bichette will give you the floor for sure. Like he's still going to get you 15 to 20 steals. Uh, He's going to get you 20 plus homers. Uh, The beautiful thing is, I, people think it's kind of a, a, a crazy theory, but some many agree with it. I think they're still going to change the baseballs back because I don't think they can have boring baseball all year long. Um, I'll watch it regardless because I like baseball, but they'll lose a lot of fans if it's always the way it is. And if that ball lightens up and you get that Toronto offense clicking in the summertime, there's going to be some monster games. I think you remember last year, sure, it was Dunedin and some other places, but they were putting up double-digit runs on the regular. And and that that could be very good for a guy like Bichette and company. And the other thing with Bichette that I'd mentioned is 
it was a slow start, like we saw from a lot of people over the last couple of weeks, like at least in the month of May. He's really, really starting to kind of look a little bit more like the Bichette of old. So, you know, he's only got the one home run. He's got five more doubles. His, you know, his, his production's improved. His batting average up to 275. Uh, I think it'll start clicking. And when it clicks, uh, we'll be just fine with Bo Bichette. You're just, you got to get over it. It's, you're not going to get that top four or five pick right now. But if you can get like a late first, early second round return, you'll be happy right about now. So if you were a Bichette owner, would you be just looking to hold or I guess you kind of have to, but from the other side, would you be looking to buy on him, I guess, depending on the price? If there's someone in your league that's really concerned about his production, I'd buy in a heartbeat, yes. I, I still believe uh, that you'll get the the end of the season, you'll get to 2020 at least, and uh, and that's very valuable. Yeah, as a, as a Jays fan, I, I'm inclined to agree. I, I love Bo's game, and I think especially with a full season of George Springer, uh, you have more opportunities for RBIs and for runs there, depending on how they use the batting order. They have flipped it around the last couple of days. They have Bo cleaning up, Vladdy Guerrero batting second. So maybe some more RBI opportunities as he goes down the board there. But I do agree. Uh, try and buy if you can. I have him in a couple of spots, and I'm also trying to buy him in a couple of spots. So I, as much as I love him, I'm not sure he's going to get to like last year. I think he was the second or third ranked player for the whole year. That might be a bit of a stretch possibly, but I, I still think yeah. you're, you're right. He's going to be in that top round or two worth of value. Most likely. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt about that. It's uh, like I said, he's got to kind of, we've gotten to the point where I'm still not in full panic mode on players yet, but at the same time you have to get the reality in your head of what you should expect. You're not expecting that uh, full season, but we still have like four and a half months of baseball. A lot can take place. This is true. Uh, let's move on to another guy who has been underperforming a lot more so than Bo, I would say. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, the catcher for the White Sox. How do you feel about him going forward? Do you think he's a buy or would you stay away? I would I would buy, honestly. And it's I know it sounds scary when you see a guy that's hitting a buck 65 um, with one home run. He's got one stolen base if you want to look at the bright side. But um, it's it, it's scary. But a couple, couple things. is A, the catcher's landscape is just pathetic all around the board. So uh, you can either ride the hot hand on the waiver wire and hope that continues to work, which it could. You can get a guy like Grandal who can bounce back greatly because it wasn't very long ago, a.k.a. last season, where he was horrible to start the season. He had a little knee injury, came back, and he was hit like over 400. He hit for power. In the end, like the biggest thing, especially head-to-head is different, but if you're in Roto Leagues – you got to keep remembering the big picture. And most of these guys, year in and year out, Grandal's getting you 20-plus home runs. He's hitting you 240-ish. Even when he starts bad, he finishes with these numbers. He's doing a great White Sox lineup that's quite productive. And, and the other thing with Grandal is we love his OBP skills. Even through all of this, he's still walking nearly 15% of the time. And he's striking out actually 18%, which is down from his – he's usually a 20 to 24%, 25% strikeout guy. So his plate skills are improving. His BABIP is bad. Um, his contact rates are still okay. I think it's more unlucky than anything, and, and I would expect a lot of good things from Grandal. I might be overly optimistic, but there's there's not as many red flags for him as there are some other people we'll talk about. Yeah, I think especially if you're in like an OBP format, those walks are definitely going to be huge. And like you said, the strikeout rate is, I believe, at a career low 18. I don't think he's ever had a season below uh, 20% strikeouts before. So definitely some good things. I mean, the fact that he's 33 is a little bit worrisome. And the fact that he doesn't really play so much, he'll have a couple of off days a week, which is a little concerning. But like you said, catcher is a bit of a crapshoot. There's not really too much going on over there, uh, especially on waiver wires for catchers anyway. Yep. Definitely, definitely. And like, and you look at this. Just look at if one thing. If you're concerned about a guy's approach, and you're kind of figuring out, I, I look at the play discipline metric on Fangraphs for like the O swings, your contact rates, all that stuff. Most of it, most of it is within his career norms. Like he's not crazy out of it. If anything, he's actually 
making better contact right now. So there is some definite positives to take away from Grundahl. Okay, let us move on now. Let's go into the National League and talk about one of my personal favorite players here, Tyler O'Neill. Still struggling to this point in the season. The batting average still sits under 200. Is he a buy for you? This one's tricky because, like during draft season, it was one of those where I didn't want to fade him completely. So I have, I definitely have shares because I believed in the the ceiling which we saw last year. But I was also concerned about this because you know the average has always been a thing with him. The strikeout rates twenty nine percent. It's about it's actually kind of in line with his career norms. Mm. He's just not running hot with the BABIP. He's got a two fifty three BABIP, and in years past, last year three sixty six, two thousand nineteen three eighty six, three sixty four. So it's one of those. And people like some like to talk about Babbitt. I think it's a great tool just because it's common sense. The guy hits the ball hard. That has not changed. His barrel rate is still great. His hard hit rate is still, that's actually kind of disappointing. But um, you just look at his overall skill set. If he's putting the ball in play and he's um, just not getting quote unquote lucky with it, there will be some bounce back. Now, I am concerned to answer the main part of your question because even with the, a, a risky BABIP and the bad average, you'd expect more power by now. And you drafted him for power and speed. If he's not on base, he actually obviously isn't running. So I wouldn't be looking to acquire Tyler O'Neill per se. Um, I would probably look to sell if you could or hold. Uh, if you're like a 12-team or deeper, I'd probably hold a little longer, just hoping things get better. Because that Cardinals team is actually still scoring runs. So if they keep putting them out there, that's a good thing. But if Yepes keeps hitting, and then Carlson and Bader are at least serviceable, O'Neill might become more of a platoon player, which would really stink. That would be terrible, yeah. I mean, I got a Canadian. Uh, I'm Canadian, so any kind of Canadian player, I'm rooting a little bit extra hard for. So, uh, I mean, especially in that lineup, you figure you will turn it around eventually. But like you said, they have other options, so they can platoon. I, it does benefit them having the DH now in the National League, so he will get maybe some more at-bats than he would have last year if he's struggling. Um, but I agree. it's It's been definitely worrisome to this point. Uh, he was, I don't, I don't remember exactly where his ADP was, somewhere in the 40s, I think. Yeah, it was like 50s? 40 to 50, give or take. I, like, I usually had to draft him third round, fourth if I was lucky type thing. Mm. It was like the conversation in most drafts was, do you go with Tyler O'Neill or like Randy or Rosarena? So far, neither was the answer. But <laughs> um, that that's kind of where that was going. Yeah, so I think that's most... Oh, maybe there's one more guy who's a little bit of a, a buy low at this point, although he did have a pretty good start yesterday. Uh, Brandon Woodruff. I know people aren't really too concerned. Um, would you be looking to buy on Woodruff, hold on him? How, where, where are you standing on him right now? I would buy everywhere you can for nearly as much as people want because um, <laughs> this is one of the guys that uh, Bloomfield and I talked about this past week that we really, uh, and many people have tweeted about, so I'm not saying we were the only ones that did this, but if you just look at his underlying metrics, everything is great, if not better, than previous seasons. He is getting BABIP to depth. His left-on-base rates are crazy, just like a quick glance at it. His BABIP's 333. It usually sits in like the 260s to 290s, which is much more understandable. 333 is just not going to stay. 61% left-on-base rate. It's usually like around 80%, 75 to 80. So you just if you just regress some of those, like just in the middle of his career norms to where it is now, the regression is going to be amazing. Absolutely amazing. So he's... And... and He's still striking guys out very, very like better than last year. So strikeout stuff's great. It's just balls in play are finding holes right now. And that's just baseball. That's just the way it goes. But as long as he's still striking guys out, not walking, like the cater walk's still fine. I'm going to roll with Woody because when he gets clicking, he's a beast in this landscape of starting pitching that can struggle. We've seen him go seven plus innings on the regular, which gets you the wins that are hard to find these days. Like, I don't worry about Woodruff. I would buy anywhere you can. 
I'm not really too worried. There's only one number that kind of concerns me is the hard hit percentage is at a career high. By, by quite a high margin, it's 48%. He's never been over 33 before. That's the only kind of concerning metric is that he's given up a, a lot harder contact than usual. Other than that, though, uh, I'm not too worried. The ERA is 5.35, and the expected ERA is 3.61. So yep. he is uh, getting a bit unlucky to this point in the year for sure. Let's maybe talk about a couple of guys who are overperforming now. We've talked about the disappointments. Um, Taylor Ward, would you be trying to sell Taylor Ward or just ride the value? Where Do you think he'll keep this up most of the year that he'll be worth holding on to? Where exactly are you on him? It's a tricky one. Like, I would say if you can get like a pretty sweet return on it, I would do it. Just because I, I believe he'll be very good this year. Like he'll be very good, but to be 385 with the pace where he's hitting the home runs he's hitting now, walking nearly 19% of the time, these just aren't going to sustain. Like he's awesome. Like he's a really, really good ball player. He's hitting leadoff for the Angels. The Angels are playing great baseball. Trout's on fire. Otani. Like it all lines up for fantasy goodness. There's no denying any of that. But at the same time, it's it's the old adage that okay, when you acquire a player, the stats before him you don't get, so it doesn't matter. You get what's going forward. Eventually, he's going to regress to his mean. Like, even if he hits 320 with, say, 18 home runs this season, well, you missed the hottest part of his, his go. So he's going to be very good. But if you can sell him high, I would sell him. And say you need pitching, go get like an ace and another outfielder. Go get two, like, number two starters and like load up your pitching staff. Do stuff along those lines because Ward's going to be very good. But again, it also only takes one like really serious slump, and Adele could be back. Who's mashed in and triple A? There's there's options in Anaheim, so I would say I would sell if you could. I would say if he ends up batting three twenty, that would be a massive success for anybody yeah. who has him. Yeah, I think um, two eighty is a lot more reasonable, and that's a yeah. hundred point drop from where he's at now. So that's a slump and a half for you. When we were talking to uh, Brad Johnson, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, he was saying if he had Taylor Ward, he would make a trade for Trevor Story. Would you agree with him there? I know it's been a couple of weeks and things change, but on the surface, would you agree with that? I could see where Brad's, where he's going with that. Um, Story is lost right now, but it's hard to believe a player of his caliber could be lost this long. Um, but that's the kind of idea, like go and get um, like a top three round talent that's struggling and see where it can go. So I, I don't hate that. Let's put it that way. I don't hate that. I think it's fair. Um, I'm still, I guess I'm a little more on the skeptical side of the story than many other smart people are. I'm a little skeptical about both. Like you said, there's Joe Adele waiting in the wings and, and it's kind of maybe similar with Tyler O'Neill if you don't perform. And I know he has been performing, but if he doesn't keep this torrid pace up, then they do have options there in Anaheim. So um I think he'll probably keep his starting job, but I'm, I am with you. It's definitely, they have options if he doesn't perform well. So I'm not totally sure how to feel about him. Obviously 385 is not going to last, but batting at the top of that lineup and he's protected by Otani and Trout and Walsh and Marsh. This is so much it's the talent. Perfect there. storm. It's the perfect yeah. storm. <laughs> he's, uh, that's why I said you have to get like a great haul. Like, don't just do it to trade him because of the regression that's coming. You have to get a good return. That's going to really benefit your team because he's, he's going to be. You're just going to lock him in every week in fantasy, regardless of the slump or not. Cause he's going to finish the season very like overall really good. But uh, just know you could probably get something pretty sweet that could help your team out in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe we'll move on now to Josh Bell. Josh Bell is someone who I think has been overperforming the whole year, but he's kept it up. I mean, early on, I was talking about him in the first couple of weeks of being someone 
who might be a sell because of how good he started, but he's still batting um, three thirty six to this point. Do you think he'll keep this up? Three thirty six, no, but the plate skills that we're seeing from Josh Bell are great. He's still walking twelve percent of the time, which is one thing we love Josh Bell for, and he's not striking out right now. Like he's doing the Matt Olson. And that's pretty crazy where all of a sudden his K rate just dropped. And um, now is that part sustainable? I don't know. Like if you look at his, his contract, his contact metrics, as we were talking about with some other guys, that's where I'd really look for a guy like this. But, you know, his O swing is a little higher than he used to be, which is never great. But he's making a ton of contact outside the zone. Is that sustainable? Probably not. So there's your batting average regression a little bit. But his overall plate skills in the zone, uh, swinging strikes, they're all very, very good. If, if not in line, if below career norms. So it's one of those things with Josh Bell, his biggest thing is ground ball rate. It's always high. And that's just, is that going to help you get the fantasy goodness you're really looking for? It can get you the batting average. That's why he's got a good Babbitt because he's hitting the ball on the ground. He's hitting the ball hard on the ground. That That's very, very good. But um, for the power department you're looking for, do we get the 25, 30 homers? That's the question mark. I think he'll be very good. I don't think he's going to be great. Um, but I really don't know who you could trade him for because most people I think are going to be kind of skeptical as well. So, uh, you know, projections still have him hitting 270 to 280 to finish the season, which would be very good. And you might get to the 20 home run. So he's, he's in line for a solid season, but um, this horrid pace is not going to be sustainable unless some, some act of God, he really did cut out the strikeouts and that would be amazing. So that would be what I'd be watching for. And we were talking about the perfect storm for Taylor Ward in terms of a lineup, and it's pretty much the opposite here for Josh yeah. Bell. He's got Juan Soto and then a bunch of role players. I mean, no disrespect <laughs> to those guys, but... it's No, it's bad. Yeah. Um, there have been some hot streaks, though, in that Nationals lineup. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez. There's been a couple of guys overperforming a little bit, so I, I don't expect that to continue, but uh, definitely he's been an interesting player for me, Josh Bell, this year. He's a career 265 hitter. He's batting 336, so it's... it's like you said, he's not going to keep it up, but he's kept it up for, I mean, what are we, six weeks in now, five weeks in? So definitely longer than I thought at the beginning of the year, um, better than we, I'm not, I'm kinking my words out. He's done better than I thought he would to this point. No, I agree. I, I'm 100% with you because uh, in draft season, it was like you had the Bell, Crone, Hoskins, that whole crew of like four or five first basemen getting drafted together. And I always had Bell on the bottom of the four or five. That was just how it was. I like him, but I don't like him more than these guys. Well, so far he's producing, but my biggest concern was, can he produce the power? And, you know, this bad average is great. And it's really great in this, this environment we have now with like a 240 league average or whatever. But four home runs isn't going to cut it either. So it's he's got to – I'd almost take a hit and bad average if he get the power going. Yeah, I'd agree there for sure. If he gets it down to 270, 280, and then hits 25 home runs, I think a lot of people will be pretty happy with that. Similar to what he did last year, really. Yeah, perfect. Um, perfect. Let's talk about one more guy, and then I'll leave it open if you want to bring up anybody else. Um, and this isn't really a sell high, per se. I don't think anybody's going to be buying on him. But what, how do you feel about Brandon Drury? Do you think he'll keep up what he's done to this point, or do you think he's going to be on waiver wires again in a couple of weeks? Uh, the good old Brandon Drury. This is a fun one because um, – the talent has always been speculated upon as he's been a prospect in systems. It's been maybe the consistent playing time, the right environment, who knows? Great American small park is a great environment for those <laughs> situations. I got to, if you can't be in Coors, the next best stop. So come on down. And um, right now he's taking advantage of playing time. And with Jonathan India aggravating the hamstring as quickly as he did, I'd imagine he's going to be out for a little while. That's not one of those. Once you re-aggravate a, a hamstring or any kind of muscle that quickly, it's, it's not great by any means. So I think Drury's going to get a lot of run. And the funny thing is, is I thought it'd be at second base for India. But he's playing third base a ton as long as well as second base. Long-winded way of trying to answer your question, though. Um, 
I think as long as he's continuing to play every day, he will be fantasy viable. The batting average will be fluctuating, but the power is legit with, with Drury. That's not the issue. So I think he'll be solid. It's just a matter of can he keep the playing time. And the Reds really have no reason not to play him. So I would roll with him for now. I wouldn't be like going and buying him for $100 and stuff. Like I wouldn't be going crazy on him. But if you can roster him while he's in, go for it. The second we see any little hiccups, drop him and move on. Yeah, we have seen some good power seasons from him in Arizona. And he had uh, a 15 home run season for the Blue Jays. So if he can give you that 15 to 20 home runs, uh, I think it'll be I mean, I say sell high in terms of him. Not really that I think you'll be able to actually sell, but more in terms of just overperformers. Maybe that would have been a better uh, title, over and underperformers. But uh, there's something about that lineup, you know, there's really, and I know they've had a couple of decent games recently, despite that that brutal one yesterday, the no-hitter that they lost. I'm just a little bit... Uh, Only the Reds. Only the Reds. They just don't have a ton of support in that lineup, especially with Votto not performing. I mean, Tyler Stevenson has been great, but there's not really a ton of support for him there in that lineup in terms of helping with runs and RBIs. So I don't know that he's going to be a great asset, but I think, like you said, uh, ride it while you can. Ride it while he's performing, while he's producing anyway. Um, Is there anybody else that we haven't mentioned here that sticks out in your mind as either a big buy low or a sell high? Um. I guess uh, what I would say, I'm going to give you a buy high guy. I'll mix it up for you. Okay. Um, and this is this is my bias, so I'd like throw it in in here just for fun. But I just wanted to bring to light how great Jazz Chisholm is right now, and it's actually mm. legit. That's the funny part is I had so many people tell me I was wrong for being so excited about him this off season because he strikes out too much. He does this, he does that, and I said, well, a couple things. In this world of baseball, everyone strikes out. It seems like that's just the way it goes. Um, I've been a big hobby bias for proponent, and I've always admitted like eventually the like they're gonna fall off the ledge. I get it, but I'm gonna roll until they don't. So Jazz, if you dig in, he's hitting 288, which people say is unsustainable. Maybe, but his BABIP's pretty darn close to, to previous seasons. It's not like crazy. Uh, but the part I love is the strikeout rate actually has dropped 4%, and uh, the power speed's there, six homers and six stolen bases. The reason I drafted Jazz Chisholm was I legit think he's a 25-25 guy, and right now he's proving that. Can he not still? Yes. But he's, his barrel rate, his hard hit rates, he's always been a, a really free-swinging, powerful, quirky, funny dude and um he's be a guy that people are still very skeptical about and i'd be willing to buy high on him because you dig into his metrics and they are in line with previous seasons so if that average even falls to 260 he's still gonna play every day he's hitting lead off he's gonna have power he's gonna have speed i would say um i just want to bring to light the one and only jazz chisholm because uh people are still not believing in this kid and i'm telling you it's it's for real he looks uh, almost like a left-handed Boba Shet in terms of his stats and everything. Yep. Uh, that's what I compared him. That's what I compared him to in draft season. I said, if you don't want to draft Boba Shet early, you can wait five or six rounds and get Jazz Chisholm. Yeah, I, I think maybe twenty-five, twenty-five. If he keeps up, thirty, thirty, maybe even. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, really a hot start here. He's been the top ten uh, kind of fantasy player here. Uh, we're talking with Casey Bubba, the great Casey Bubba. You guys can find him on Twitter at BDentric. He's the host of the. Jesus Christ, that just popped out of my head. Bench with Bubba. I haven't had my coffee yet this morning. Bench with Bubba. That is one of my favorite podcasts, especially the um, Bubba and the Bloom segments I really enjoy. And I also listen to some of your DFS stuff. I do a DFS show as well here, and I really uh, like your DFS outlook. So uh, big, big fan overall of, of Bubba. And you guys, I'm sure, already know him. I don't really need to even do an introduction, but I really want to thank you for coming on here today. I had a great time. 
Yeah, anytime, man. Like I said, this was fun. This was uh, it, I, I like these kind of formats because these are like I do a lot of content, you do a lot of content, and uh, getting these names out there, getting some different voices, it's always fun. So anytime you you need someone to pop on, let me know, and uh, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, you guys have all been great. Everybody who's established names in the fantasy community, you guys have been great with coming on and then answering my DMs and questions. So uh, I really, really appreciate it, man. Huge for my growth. So uh, massive thank you. Massive thank you. Anytime, anytime. Big thanks to Bubba for coming on the show. He is one of my favorite personalities in the fantasy baseball world. So it's definitely a treat being able to talk to him. Go ahead and follow him on Twitter at BDentric. And go ahead and listen to the Bench with Bubba podcast, one of the better baseball podcasts around We are going to be spending the rest of our show today looking at different pitching matchups that will take place on this 13-game slate. Pretty busy for a Monday. Usually you see a few more off days on Monday after the weekend, but uh, we're keeping it going full speed ahead here uh, into the Monday. So we'll start off, we'll go chronologically as we usually do, and we'll look at the first game, which is a 6.40 p.m. Eastern time start between the Tigers and the Rays at Tropicana Field. We have Alex Fado and Corey Kluber, and honestly, neither one of these guys is going to interest me too much tonight. Fado has definitely been pretty good. We went from one strikeout in the first outing to upping it to seven in his second outing, so definitely some potential there. He is going up against a tough Rays team who has done fairly well to this point in the season, so it's not really going to be a recommended play here. Uh, Not a likely opportunity for a win, and overall, I'm not really going to be too interested there. On the other side, I'm also not really too interested in Corey Kluber. He's been a mixed bag this season, and he's coming off a really horrendous start. He wasn't actually doing too bad before that Angels start, but he gave up eight earned runs over three innings and ballooned the ERA to 4.55. That in and of itself, you know, bad starts happen, whatever. Uh, Overall here, though, not really going to be too interested. The Tigers, yeah, the Tigers aren't a great team. We all know the Tigers aren't a great team. They are on a bit of a hot streak, and granted, they did sweep the Orioles, and they are the Orioles. Uh, but three games, one in a row, and not a massive offensive outpouring in any of them, sure. But overall, starting off the week here, I'm not going to be interested in using an ad on Corey Kluber. It's just not somebody who I'm too uh, too keen on for today. Start of your week, you got to maximize your value, and in terms of your ads, he's not really going to be someone who is going to be uh, going to be worth using an ad on here. I would say. Let's move on to the uh, Nationals and the Marlins. We have Aaron Sanchez and Sandy Alcantara. Sandy, this is going to be one of the better pitching options we have for the evening in Alcantara. He is one of the more steady arms in baseball. He's pretty much going to give you a good performance every time out. He had the one bad start this year against Seattle, but he's got a great matchup here against the Nationals, so no problem at all starting him here. Aaron Sanchez is the next guy, and, you know, I don't think he's as bad as the 758 ERA suggests, but he's really not someone who's going to be a viable option here. Like I said, with Kluber, it's Monday. You got to be very careful with who you're streaming. Uh, most of you guys probably have five or six ads for the week. You're talking about a Monday ad. He's not going to be someone who's going to be worth it for me. Let's move on to the Yankees and the Orioles. And this is an interesting one here. We have Luis Severino and Kyle Bradish. We'll start with Bradish. He's coming off a seven inning game against St. Louis on the road where he only gave up four hits and two earned runs. He struck out 11. So, he is definitely someone I'm a, I'm tempted to bite on here. But again, uh, on the Monday against the Yankees, their lineup has been ridiculous so far, the Yankees. So he's not going to be someone I'm really recommending here. Luis Severino on the other side, I think, has a really good uh, ability. Has a really good ability. Has a good chance here today to have a good start on the Monday. He is someone who I'm going to be starting uh, in the leagues where I have him. 
He's giving up typically uh, between one and four earned runs anywhere, and you figure he'll be on the lower end of that spectrum here against the Orioles. So I'm totally fine with using Severino. Uh, he's, you know, the ERA, if you just look at the ERA, and a lot of people do, it's a little bit higher than you might expect, and that's because he hasn't gone deep into these games the last couple times out. So just three earned runs the last couple of games, but only four and two in four and two thirds, and then five innings respectively in those outings. So look for him to go a little bit deeper against the Orioles here. Not as good of a team. He should be able to... I'm thinking at least five innings. Hopefully you get six out of him. But uh, either way, he's going to be a good option here against Baltimore. Let's move on now. We'll talk about the Blue Jays and the Mariners. We have Chris Flexen and Yusei Kikuchi. Flexen, and their numbers are fairly similar, actually, in terms of ERA and WHIP. And everything is pretty close in terms of Flexen and Kikuchi. I'm definitely going to be favoring Kikuchi in this matchup here. Flexen is just, he doesn't blow you away. He's not going to strike out a lot of guys. The odds so far have it uh, the Blue Jays favored, so I'm going to lean into what the odds makers are saying. We're probably going to see a Blue Jay victory tonight, and maybe a little bit of wishful thinking on my part. You guys know I'm a Toronto boy. So hopefully we'll see a Toronto victory, and that is what we are expecting going in. So Flexen's not going to be a major contributor in strikeouts. He's probably not going to get the win, and there's a decent chance he'll get roughed up going against a tough Toronto lineup. So I'm not going to be interested in using Flexen here. On the other side, Yusei Kikuchi really interests me. He settled down these last couple of starts, a uh, six-inning outing against the Yankees, and then and that was at home against the Yankees. And then on the road in the Bronx, he went five and a third, gave up two earned runs. The strikeout has the strikeout numbers on the season are not the most impressive: twenty-seven strikeouts in twenty-six innings, but seven in each of these last two starts. And I'm hoping that he can be this year's Robbie Ray in that he's someone who came from another location, previous All-Star who's kind of struggled recently. And then Pete Walker and the Blue Jays pitching staff turned them into more of a stud. And now he's not a stud, but turned them into a much more serviceable fantasy option. Uh, we've seen what happened with Robbie Ray this year so far leaving Seattle. It has not been pretty. It's kind of validating uh, the Pete Walker effect in Toronto. He's definitely one of the better pitching coaches, I think, in Major League Baseball. Again, a little bit of Toronto bias, but if you just look at the track record and see what he's done these last couple of seasons, I think he's definitely one of the more impressive pitching coaches. You also look at Kikuchi's track record, uh, not his track record, but his matchups to this point in the season. He's faced the Yankees three times, the Astros twice, and the Red Sox. He's had a tough go of it. He's had a tough go of it matchup-wise, and figured that will, won't be that bad all year. I mean, I know he's in a tough division, but a lot of games against the Yankees to start, a couple on the road. In Houston, we don't face the, we, the Jays don't face the Astros again this year, so no more Houston. Uh, Boston hasn't been too impressive, but still they have power in, in their lineup and you have to be careful with them. Overall, the strength of schedule will not be this tough for him going forward and I would expect to see even better performances. So absolutely, I'm okay with using an ad on Yusei Kikuchi. Also, another thing to keep in mind, a lot of these Monday starters, you will get two starts out of them depending on how off days work. It's a good rule of thumb and you should always check, of course, before making your ads and setting your lineups. But typically, when a guy starts on a Monday, you're going to get a weekend start out of him as well. So you use Kikuchi there, you use an ad, and you're likely going to get a start this weekend out of him. So another thing to keep in mind there. Let's move on, uh, Astros and Red Sox. And I say probably because you never really know with pitching rotations how it's going to work. Uh, I thought Mackenzie Gore for sure was going to stay in the San Diego rotation, and he's apparently going to be working out of the bullpen now, uh, him and Nick Martinez. Martinez, I understand a little bit more. With Mackenzie Gore, you would have hoped they would have given him a little bit more uh, leash. And he's been really good to this point, too. So it's a bit of a question. It's a bit of a head scratcher for me why he's coming out of the pen. I know they're they're crowded over there. 
All of that to say, you don't really know what's going to happen. So when I say it's probably two starts, you don't really know. The Blue Jays do technically have the ability to start like a Ross Stripling if they need be. They have Hyunjin Ryu back in the rotation now. And we'll see exactly what happens with um, in terms of the two starts for Kikuchi. I think it's possible. Again, you never really know for sure. But at this point, I think it's going to shape up like that. Let's move on to the Astros and the Red Sox. We have Jake Odorizzi and Garrett Whitlock. Should be a really interesting pitching matchup. Odorizzi has outperformed what I thought he would give us going into the season. Three straight outings, allowing one earned run or less. And the last two outings, actually, no earned runs at all. It was a one-hit outing last time against Detroit. And then before that, four hits against Seattle, no runs. And then just one hit against Texas before that. So really surprising to see Jake Odorizzi perform this well. He hasn't really done that to this point in his career. He's been a hit-or-miss kind of guy. Not a bad pitcher, not a great pitcher. He's just been a kind of all right. So this is an interesting stretch of starts, and he gets a Red Sox team that has not really done what they've been expected to do this season. If you look at the StatCast metrics for Odorizzi, they're not the greatest. Some of them are a little bit concerning. He's walking guys at a career-high rate, and his strikeout rate is also at a career low. So are we concerned a little bit there? Yes. Uh, overall, it's probably going to be okay. The Red Sox have been pretty pathetic offensively recently. So I'm not going to be opposed to using an ad on him there. And honestly, I think it's probably a decent play. I don't think you're going to get hurt too much uh, adding him there. And like I said, it's a Monday ad, so you have that potential for a weekend start as well. We never really know what's going to happen, but you have that potential there. And with the way the Red Sox have been doing to this point, I'd be pretty all right using a stream on Odorizzi today. Garrett Whitlock, on the other side, is also someone who's been very impressive. Last time out, not so much against Atlanta, but overall, he's been very good to this point of the season. Pitching, pitching to a 2.19 ERA with high strikeout numbers and fairly low walks. So I'm liking what we've got out of Whitlock. Tough matchup here at home against the Astros. He's kind of, um, it's, a, it's a tough one. Like overall, looking at what he's done, I'd say yeah. You would add, uh, if you just didn't look at the name, didn't look at the opponent, and you just looked at the numbers, you're going to add. Now, when you factor in, he's facing the Astros, who are one of the hottest teams in baseball. Uh, you could argue even the hottest team in baseball. I think their win streak is at, or they lost one game in there, actually. But they've won like 11 of their last 12. So I'm not really going to be uh, keen on using Whitlock here. I'd understand it because of how good he has been to this point. Overall, I'm probably going to be staying away. But at the same time, I understand sending him in there early in the week. It's a Monday. A lot of people don't worry about sit-start stuff on Mondays unless you're facing like the Dodgers and it's a, it's a bad pitcher's kind of thing. Yes, in that case, you're going to sit pretty much every time. This is a little more tricky because of how good he's done. But the strength of the opponent would tend to lean me towards sitting him today. So... I'll leave it up to you guys on an individual basis if you want to send in uh, pictures, requests, whatever, on uh, through DMs like some of you guys do. Then I'll be happy to chat with you there about it. But overall, I think you're probably going to be safe. But it's it's really like pretty much split down the middle here. Uh, anybody's guess as to what's going to happen. I think it's pretty safe, but that lineup is very scary as well. Let's move on to the Cardinals and the Mets. We have Miles Mikolas and Trevor Williams here. Mikolas has been fantastic, and he kind of fits into that same vein as Odorizzi a little bit. Uh, he's been really good. We weren't really expecting him to be this good. What are we going to do here? So he's facing a really tough Mets team. The Mets have been one of the better teams in baseball to this point in the season. Mikolas has been one of the bigger surprises on the mound to this point in the season. So when we dive into the numbers a little bit, 
I'm pretty all right starting him here. He has, and at the same time, he's due a little bit for a bit of a stinker. And lower strikeout numbers the last couple of times out were a little bit concerning, maybe. Only three in each start. I'm pretty okay using him here. Uh, the Mets definitely, like I said, very tough team. It's a road matchup. Very good offensive numbers to this point in the season. Their stars have done what they've wanted. Their role players have pretty much done what they've wanted out of them. Um, so it's it's going to be a tough matchup, but at the same time, he has earned our trust to put him in lineups, especially early in the week here. If he doesn't perform, then you try and compensate later on down the week. But I feel like he's earned a spot in um, in starting lineups, even more, more so solidified than Garrett Whitlock. Nicholas has done it over a larger sample size, and I, I feel more confident in using him tonight than I would with Whitlock. So Williams is going to be a guy, or sorry, Nicholas is going to be a guy I feel good about uh, using here. Trevor Williams on the other side, he's not going to be someone that I'm too interested in. He's pitched to a fairly high ERA to this point. And yeah, he's not going to be a, a mainstay in that rotation. He's more of a starting uh, opener kind of guy. He's not someone you're going to want to use an add-on here. Uh, there's no circumstances where I can really see that being the case. Uh, let's move on here. We have the Braves and the Brewers. Ian Anderson and Freddie Peralta, really good pitching matchup here. And you wouldn't, if you just, you know, maybe don't know so much about baseball, you just look at the ERA, you think, okay, it's it's whatever. But we have two really good pitchers taking them out here, two guys who have been underperforming a little bit to this point. Anderson's been pretty okay. Um, the ERA is still quite not where he would want it. And part of that is because of the five runs he gave up over two and two-thirds against Cincinnati earlier in the year. Every start since then, he's been three earned runs or less. It's been one, two, two, one, and three. Keeping the ball in the ballpark for the most part, and the strikeouts have been a little bit lower than we would have expected. So overall, he's a pretty good play here. Uh, uh, Freddie Peralta on the other side, I think over these last couple of starts, he's really gone back into form. One earned run, three earned runs, zero earned runs, and one earned run uh, after starting the year off with a couple of five-plus earned run performances. So I'm not really going to be too worried about him going forward. He's someone I've had some questions about, but overall, I'm not too worried about him. I'm sure Brewers fans are maybe a little bit concerned on the surface with him and Brandon Woodruff, but I'm pretty okay uh, using both of these starters here tonight. Uh, Let's move on to the next game. It's the Pirates and the Cubs. We have Dylan Peters and Wade Miley. Peters is an interesting one because of how well he's pitched, but he's more of an opener. So I'm probably not going to be using an ad on him here. I could see some people maybe doing so, but I don't think it's worth it on a Monday to use an ad on someone who's likely going to pitch maybe three or four innings, and that's it. Wade Miley on the other side has a really good matchup here against the Pirates, but he has not impressed me at all to this point in the season. So I'm probably going to be staying away from Wade Miley. Again, I understand if you want to take an ad, uh, take a chance on him today because of the bad matchup or because of the good matchup against the bad team, I should say, uh, I would be all right with that. Oh, I'd be okay with it. I'm not advocating for it, but I would understand it. Uh, I think there are better options out there. He's not going to be a big strikeout guy. Maybe there's a chance for a win if he goes five innings, but overall, I think there's better options out there than Miley. Let's move on to the Angels and the Rangers. We have Noah Syndergaard and John Gray. Syndergaard has been one of the nicer pieces in baseball this season, That one of the nicer surprises anyway. No one really knew what we were going to get out of him going to the Angels. Some people, I count myself among them, thought maybe that the career was winding down for him because of the injuries and stuff. And, I mean, he's only 29 years old. But he'd missed the last couple of seasons, uh, or the majority of them anyway. So we didn't know what we were going to be getting out of him, and we've gotten a great version of Noah Syndergaard, one of the better versions of him that we've seen to this point, uh, the top prospect that Toronto drafted all those years ago. And then we traded away for R.A. Dickey, of course, because, you know, 
that was the Jays at the time. Anyway, I'm not going to harp on that, but it is always a bit of a sour spot with me that we traded Syndergaard and Travis Darno for R.A. Dickey, uh, who was like a 38-year-old reigning Cy Young winner at the time, granted, for those of you who weren't following baseball at the time. But we traded a couple of top prospects for a 38-year-old knuckleballer, and it went about as well as you could have expected. So always something I'll hold uh, a bit of a grudge against the management at the time for, but at the same time, uh, you move on. We've had good teams. We have a good team now in Toronto, so... Not too much to be worried about. As for today, it's a really good matchup for Noah Syndergaard. <clears throat> he's pitched to a 2.46 ERA to this point, and he's keeping uh, keeping batters off base. The whip is at 1.06. Strikeouts are fairly low, but overall to this point, you'll take what he's given you, and then some, you'll really take it. I'm okay with using him here against the Texas Rangers, who have definitely disappointed, specifically a couple of the bats in their lineup. Marcus Simeon, he has really, really disappointed to this point. Still homerless Marcus Simeon. So, uh, and he's a big piece of that lineup there if he gets going. I'm pretty I'm pretty all right using Syndergaard here against the Rangers. There's not really too much of a worry there. A couple of good bats in there, Garcia and Seager, but I'm not too worried here. John Gray on the other side. It's going to be a hard, hard pass for me tonight with how well the Angels have done. Their offense has been fantastic to this point. You can't really stream guys against them. Uh, not right now. Maybe in years past you could have. Uh, if you look at the lineup last year and this year, you see a lot of differences in production for sure. Right now, you cannot stream against them. John Gray, uh, he's not going to be a viable option tonight. Next, we have the White Sox and the Royals. And I don't think we've had a White Sox starter announced yet, so we'll leave that one alone. I think they're probably going to go with a bullpen day. Not totally sure. There has not been an official announcement as of the time I'm recording this. As for the Royals, we have Brad Keller, who has been very good at this point in the season. He disappointed a little bit his last time out against Texas, giving up five earned runs. I'm looking for him to probably have a bounce back start here, but there is also the chance that he just continues to unravel, and what we saw at the beginning of the year was kind of a mirage. It is possible. I think he'll keep up uh, probably not to the same rate that he was early on anyway, in terms of the low ERA and keeping batters off base. Even with that bad start last time, the whip still sits below one for the season. So definitely a positive there. I'd be cautious about deploying him here, though, because it's a tough White Sox team. Yes, they haven't done as well as we would have expected to this point, but they can go off on any given night. Any combination of Abreu, Anderson, uh, Robert, Grandal can really go off on any given night. So I am going to be staying away from Keller for the most part here. Let's move on to the Giants and the Rockies. Alex Wood and Antonio Sensatella. So Alex Wood is someone I was really hot going into the season on, and he's been all right. Uh, pitching to a 3.6 ERA, he's been pretty good. He's not been as good as I would have wanted, or as good as I would have expected, seeing how the Giants have developed pitching these last couple of years. I would have thought we would have seen maybe a little bit more out of him. Nonetheless, he's been pretty serviceable candidate, um, pretty serviceable pitcher this season, and I'm pretty all right using him here. It's a tough matchup at Coors Field. But I'm pretty all right with it. In the leagues where I have him rostered, I'm going to be starting him here. Uh, I, I've got a good feeling about him going forward, and I feel like he's going to really settle in. He had a very good start last time against Colorado. It was at home, but I'm pretty okay uh, with using him here. You'd like to see the strikeouts go up a little bit for this start. Only four last time out. I'm all right with using him. Senzatella, a little bit more cautious of. He is a bit more of a mixed bag. He has had a couple of good starts this year. He had a very good start against Cincinnati. He had a very good start against the Cubs, but he's also had some stinkers against San Fran, Detroit, and uh, Los Angeles. So I'm not going to be too, too interested here. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's the same pitching matchup that they had 
from last, yeah, from May 10th. It's the same pitching matchup. And in that one, we did have an Alex Wood victory. So I'm, I'm going to be okay here uh, using Wood as a streamer. Sensatella, or not as a streamer, he's already rostered in a lot of cases. So I'm going to be all right using Wood. Sensatella is someone I would advise caution on, and most likely I'm just going to be sitting him down. Let's move on to the Twins and the Athletics. We have Chris Archer and Zach Logue. Zach Logue has had a couple of really good outings, specifically his last time out against Detroit. He went seven shutout innings, giving up just five hits and striking out six. He has a pretty tough matchup here against the Twins team. I'm not really going to be interested in using him. If you have him already, I would understand using him like I have talked about on a Monday. You kind of set the tone for your week. So if you want to use a guy like Logue and it doesn't work out, the odds are you have a lot of better arms that you drafted that can maybe compensate for that going forward. The opposite side of that is you just don't want to take the chance going into the week. It's a clean slate. The ERA is at zero. The whip is at zero. And you don't want to take a chance on a bad start with a kind of, you know, he's been good to this point, but overall a bit of an iffy guy uh, historically. So am I going to be taking a chance on him if he's sitting on the wire here? I'm not going to be adding him in a lot of cases because it's just a tough matchup. And I don't know that it's worth it on a Monday. On the other side, Chris Archer is pretty much the same deal. He hasn't gone deeper than four innings in any start. Uh, Actually, four and a third he went in one start against Kansas City. He is definitely a lower-end option tonight. He's not going to help you out a ton with strikeouts. He's not really that reliable anymore, and I'm sure the Pirates are just sickened by the trade that they made a couple of years ago to acquire him and send over uh, Glass now, Austin Meadows, and Shane Baz to Tampa Bay. That was It's going to turn out into turn into one of the worst trades uh, of this century, most likely. I know they've moved on from Austin Meadows, but even just Glasnow and Baz, uh, it's really a terrible trade for Pittsburgh. Um, sorry to any Pirates fans having to relive that uh, bit of a nightmare there. Chris Archer, as a whole, I've liked him for his career. I've liked him as a pitcher, but at this point, he's really not someone who you can you can trust. And I'm not going to be trusting him on the road here. It's you know, there's some things that I like. It's it's a good ballpark for pitchers. And it's a pretty good matchup against a fairly lowly athletics team. But I'm going to be staying away here. Like I've said a couple times, it's a Monday. You want to be conservative with your ads at this point in the week. So we're not going to be, for the most part, recommending uh, either of these guys. Last game of the night we have is the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers. Really good pitching matchup here. Both guys coming in with a sub-2 ERA. Madison Baumgartner and Tony Gonsolin. Baumgartner has been one of the bigger surprises to this point in the majors. Uh, I don't think anybody was expecting him to be this good. He thought maybe he'd have some back-end 12-team value, uh, you know, just as kind of a, a ratio guy maybe. Uh, they brought in a new pitching coach in Arizona. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, so forgive me there. But he has really done a great job with Bumgarner, with Merrill Kelly, and with Zach Allen. And now Bumgarner, obviously, you know, he doesn't need to be taught how to pitch or anything. But whatever has happened with the new uh, pitching coach seems to have really had a good impact on him. So this is a really tough matchup, and it's hard to advocate using him. I think a lot of people will use him just because, like I've said, it's a Monday. You're not looking at any stats at this point, so you're sending him in there with a zero ERA. You're thinking, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen a lot of the time? Anyway, uh, it could be very bad against the Dodgers team. That has a lot of right-handed bats, a lot of great right-handed bats in their lineup. So it's going to be very tough for me to say, yes, he is a play tonight for sure. I think he's an all right option. I don't think that he's uh, he's not recommended. Um, let's put it that way. I think that there's a chance he has a decent outing, and if he does, 
if he does have a good outing here, then I think that pretty much solidifies for me that he's going to be a valuable guy this season. He's not faced the Dodgers yet, so we'll have to see how he can perform against the top of the top. And against good teams so far, St. Louis and the Mets and Houston, he's performed pretty well. So I'm hopeful he can give us a good outing here, but at the same time, I'm not counting on it. Tony Gonsolin on the other side, I think he's a great option here tonight. He gets an Arizona team that is, you know, they're not a bad team. They're really not, but their strength comes from their pitching. Their strength does not come from their lineup. They are 25th in runs scored per game, 29th in hits, 29th in average, 24th in on-base percentage. Um, Just not really doing much. They hit a decent amount of home runs. They're tied for 10th in the league in home runs with 35. And this is Major League Baseball, not just the National League. They're 10th. So there is some hope there, but a lot of their stuff comes from the long ball. Uh, I wouldn't be worried too much about Tony Gonsolin here. It's a really good home matchup. And to this point of the season, he's been one of the more low-key, impressive guys in baseball. I've always really liked him, and I've always thought that he's kind of undervalued in fantasy circles and in fantasy leagues in general. His roster percentage has shot up recently now, and he's now over 70% rostered, so it's going to be kind of tough to grab him in a lot of cases. But there were points that earlier in the year where you're looking at his roster percentage, and it's in the 30s and the 40s, and you're thinking, okay, he has a regular starting role on probably the best team in the majors, so a lot of wins are going to come there. And regardless of the team he plays on, he has been a good pitcher to this point in his career, a 2.6 ERA. That doesn't really get impacted by how good your team is. It might impact a little bit defensively uh, in terms of allowing some runs. But he's been a good pitcher his whole career. This is his fourth year now. He's a guy, he's a must-roster player. Tony Gosselin is a must-roster pitcher regardless of who he's facing tonight, which I know it's a great team tonight. That's a great team. It's a bad team tonight that he's facing. It's a great matchup tonight. But regardless of just looking at one game here, uh, he's someone who needs to be on rosters. He's someone who absolutely is worth a spot uh, on on rosters. So if he's still available, he's probably not. But if he is, then go ahead and add him up. We're going to spend a little bit of time here looking at some of the guys who, as of right now, they have two starts coming this week. Can things change? Do people get hurt and rainouts and stuff push games back? Yes. But we're going to be looking at a couple of guys, and a couple of them we mentioned today, but a couple of guys who shouldn't get two starts this week. So, yes, uh, Noah Syndergaard, we talked about him. Texas today, and then he gets Oakland later on in the week. So, really, really enticing stuff there. We have uh, Tony Gonsolin, Arizona and Philadelphia. So, that is, for me, a really good uh, matchup there. Yes, the second game, he's got Citizens Bank Park. The shoebox, as Scott Bogman called it when he was on the show, it is the shoebox. Absolutely, it's a tough matchup there at Philadelphia, but Gonsolin is a decent guy uh, to get in both of those starts. You get the Arizona start, the better matchup, and then the Philadelphia one to kind of offset it a little bit. So a little bit more risk in the Philly one there, but if you're in a weekly, uh, say in your lineups weekly kind of league, then Gonsolin, for me, is a must-start guy. Looking elsewhere, we have a couple of more interesting uh, maybes. So we have Merrill Kelly. He's got the Dodgers tomorrow, and he has been really impressive to this point in the season. And you're going to say, okay, it's the Dodgers. It's kind of an iffy start there. Second start of the week will come against the Cubs. So I feel all right using Merrill Kelly in a two-start spot there if you want him for two starts. He is someone who should be on rosters anyway, Merrill Kelly. The the way he's performed to this point in the season, uh, he's warranted those roster spots. And he's rostered in most leagues, 76%, but you can still get him in places. Uh, He's not... 
he's not completely a, an endangered species yet on the waiver wire. There's still there's still some leagues where he's available, so he's someone who you should be adding. Uh, yes, it's a tough matchup against the Dodgers, but if you start him in a weekly changes league, you get that matchup against the Cubbies later on, and it's a good option there. Tyler Anderson is another guy who we have uh, two starts. He gets Arizona and Philadelphia just like Tony Gonsolin. And I don't like him as much as Gonsolin, but I think with the two starts there, uh, assuming he does get both of them, I would be very, very comfortable using him. Uh, Again, the two starts, one better than the other. They kind of offset. You can get somewhere in the middle of the road value for two starts. You get a bit of a bump in your strikeout numbers. Uh, I'm totally fine with that. There's a couple of other guys who I'm not quite as big on here. Um, Mackenzie Gore was going to be someone who projected for two starts until they uh, put him in the bullpen or they've announced that he's going to be coming out of the pen. So he would have been lined up to start at Philly and at San Francisco, but it doesn't look like that's going to be happening anymore. We'll have to see what happens over there. I expect him to be back in the rotation at some point soon. There will be a couple of bad starts from Blake Snell or from a Clevenger or somebody And I don't have much doubt that he'll be back in that rotation. I don't understand it from a developmental standpoint to have a guy who is a starter now pitching out of the pen just because, yeah, you're too crowded because you guys acquired too many pitchers. I don't really get it personally. I would probably have Clevenger in a long relief role and have Gore starting. Uh, Nick Martinez, I understand. Yeah, you can, uh, you know, he's good, but there's just too many arms over there. And he's not like a highly, highly touted prospect like Gore is. Um, so I would have kept Gore in the rotation there. It's disappointing for managers, and I count myself among those who man who um, who own him in leagues. I have three or four leagues where I have Mackenzie Gore, so it's definitely disappointing. At the same time, we're not going to be uh, dropping him just yet, though. Uh, that pretty much covers the two starts. There's a Taewon Walker potential, but it's it's interesting because one of them is at St. Louis or at home versus St. Louis, so. Tough matchup there, and then later on in the week, he gets Colorado on the road. So we don't really like those Coors Field matchups uh, on the show here. Definitely staying away from them. Not that we're unique in that. I don't think anybody likes putting their pitchers out there at Coors Field. Walker's an interesting one. Probably going to be staying away despite the two starts. Um, Yeah, it's interesting, and anytime there's two starts, you kind of have to take a look and, you know, give it some thought. But I'm probably going to be staying away here. Uh, That's going to pretty much wrap it up for us today, guys. I want to really thank uh, Casey Bubba for coming on the show today. One of my favorite people in the fantasy baseball community. So it was a real thrill being able to chat with him. You can find him on Twitter. I'm sure you guys already know this. But at BDentric, it's B-D-E-N-T-R-E-K. Go and follow him over there. You get links to his different shows and stuff like that as soon as they go out. As well as other fantasy thoughts and stuff throughout the day. So go ahead and give Bubba a follow there. Also, go ahead and give me a follow if you haven't already. My handle is at JoeOrico99. That's J-O-E-O-R-R-I-C-O-99. Go ahead and follow me there. You get links to my shows, different threads, uh, different thoughts throughout the day. So go ahead and follow both of those channels. Also, if you're still listening, we'd really appreciate a nice five-star review, uh, whether it be Google, uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever. Really appreciate you guys uh, leaving a review there. Help us move up search results. We will see you back here tomorrow for another edition of Fantasy MLB Today. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show as much as I did, and we will see you again tomorrow. Cheers. Cheers.